Good morning, church. Um, I was grateful for this time of year when the culture as a whole and society stops to remind us to be thankful. But the, the funny part is if you listen closely, they don't really tell us what to be thankful for or who to be thankful to, just that we need to stop and be thankful. But as Christians, maybe we can remind them that we are commanded to rejoice always, to pray continually, to give thanks in all circumstances, and not just at the buffet line that we call Thanksgiving table. Amen? Paul reminds us to give thanks in all circumstances. He says, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. And whatever you do in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to the Father through him. Amen? The psalmist saying, I will enter his gates with thanksgiving in my heart. I will enter his courts with praise. Isaiah the prophet proclaimed that we should all give thanks to the Lord, that we should all call on his name, that we should all make known to all the nations what our God has done. The chronicler too chimes in by telling us, give thanks to the Lord for he is good. His love endures forever. Our God is good, amen. Our God is faithful, amen. And our God's love endures forever, amen. No, this is why we give thanks, not just at the Thanksgiving buffet line, but every single day and in all circumstances. Amen? You know, in studying Colossians chapter 1 for this week's message, I felt led to share these verses this morning. Paul's greeting to the church at Colossae is my greeting to you, my sisters and brothers, this morning. In Colossians 1, 3 to 6, we read, We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you, because we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love you have for all of God's people, the faith and love that spring from the hope stored up for you in heaven and about which you have already heard in the true message of the gospel that has come to you. In the same way, the gospel is bearing fruit and growing throughout the whole world, just as it has been doing so among you since the day you heard it and truly understood God's grace. Paul's greeting to the church of Colossae is the same greeting I greet you all, sisters and brothers, with this morning. Because I thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord and Savior, because here in our church in Harrisburg and amongst this family of faith, I have seen your faith and your love for all of God's children. The faith and love that springs from our hope in heaven, the hope stored up in heaven for us because we have heard and believed the true message of the gospel, that God has taken on skin, that God has walked the earth without sin, that God died on Calvary's tree, that God was raised up from the grave, and that Jesus himself ascended to the Father on high to advocate on our behalf. That's the true gospel. So often we make the gospel only about the death of Christ, but that is unbiblical, and that's not how the first Christians understood it. If you hear gospel, you have to focus on Christ has come. You have to know Christ lived. Then you do Christ died. Then you do Christ was raised from the dead, and now Christ stands before the Father. Because if we only focus on the death of Christ being the gospel, then we take, we take ourselves out of the business of what God wants to do with the world. If we only focus on the death of Christ, then we focus on the future and the salvation to come in our souls. But God desires to give us hope for today. Christ came. Christ lived. Christ died. Christ was raised again. Christ stands before the Father as our advocate. That is the only gospel. That is the true gospel we have heard and believed. Amen? And this same gospel that we have heard and believed is the work and message that now bears fruit here in Harrisburg and increasingly around the world as God calls more and more of us and sends us out as workers from right here among us and out there for the harvest. The gospel has given birth to our hope 
That Christ has saved us not just for an eternity up there or in heaven to come. No, our hope is that Christ has saved us not simply for tomorrow, but also for today. Because our scriptures remind us, beloved, today, now, right now is the day of salvation. Amen? Our hope is that Jesus has saved us to make on earth as it is in heaven. Our hope is that salvation is not just in the world or the life to come. No, our hope is that salvation has come like Christ who came to earth. Heaven and the kingdom of God have already come down. Our hope is not simply seeing the world for being not as it should be or not quite right. No, our hope is that God empowers us to be the light to the darkness in our world. And yes, even the darkness that's within ourselves. Amen? Christ in us, the hope of glory. The hope we have is not just for tomorrow, but also for today. The glory we strive for is not just for God in heaven, but to give him glory today. Amen? Let's pray. Our Father and God, we thank you so much for the full gospel of your son, Jesus Christ. We thank you so much that it matters that Christ was born, that Christ came. We thank you that it matters that Christ lived. It matters that Christ died. It matters that you raised him from the grave. And it matters that he ascended and stands before you as our advocate. Lord, in all these things, help us to remember this true gospel. Because that gospel speaks for hope today and tomorrow. In your name we pray, Lord Jesus. Amen. If you have your Bibles, please turn with me back to Colossians chapter 1. I'll be reading verses 21 to 29. We'll also be projecting it up the walls up front so you can follow along there. Colossians 1, 21 to 29 reads, Once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior, but now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight, without blemish and free from accusation. If you continue in your faith, established and firm, and do not move from the hope held out in the gospel, this is the gospel that you heard that has been proclaimed to every creature under heaven and of which I, Paul, have become a servant. Now now I rejoice in what I am suffering for you. And I fill up in my flesh what is still lacking in regard to Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, which is the church. I have become its servant by the commission God gave me to present to you the word of God in its fullness, the mystery that has been kept hidden for ages and generations, but is now disclosed to the Lord's people. To them God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory." He is the one we proclaim, admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom so that we may present everyone fully mature in Christ. To this end, I strenuously contend with all energy so Christ so powerful works in me. And before I go on, I have a simple confession. My confession is simply this. Advent is a relatively new practice and even concept to me. You know, in my house growing up, we never had teachings on Advent. There were no candles or even special advent wreaths. To be honest, most of my years growing up, we never even had a nativity scene. And when we got one, it was always by accident. I would guess it was like someone either gave it to us as a gift because they didn't really know us, or it was at a Christmas party. You know those awesome Christmas parties when you get white elephant gifts? We would always end up with the nativity scene. Advent was never on the radar for us as Liberians by way of North Jersey who happened to settle in southwest Philly. It just was not our thing. We had no particular family attachment to it, and I don't even remember our church mentioning it as we grew up. And maybe in passing once, and that's just because the law of averages, maybe once we said it. Advent is a rather new development and season for me. 
But what a wonderful development and season and, and concept it has become. Now, each family or church even does it differently, and that's okay. I think what is most helpful for all of us is when it comes to Advent is simply this. We prepare and we excitedly await and celebrate the coming of Jesus Christ, our Emmanuel, God taking on skin. And we also prepare and excitedly await together and celebrate the second coming of Jesus Christ, our Messiah. God coming so that all the creation can be reconciled back to God as they should be. So it is with this understanding of Advent that we are now preparing and excitedly awaiting and celebrating the coming of Jesus Christ, the one who took on skin, Emmanuel. That we are also preparing and excitedly awaiting Jesus Christ, the Savior, the one who will come again to reconcile all the cosmos, all creation to himself forever. It is with this understanding of Advent that I would like to talk about hope this morning. And I think we have a lot of misconceptions of hope. And, and I was going to blame Barack Obama, but I don't think it's just Barack, right? I think it's also we as Christians. We do not have a proper understanding of hope because I do not believe we have a proper understanding of the full gospel of Jesus Christ. Amen? So hope then is not just the focus of the first Sunday of Advent. No, hope is the vehicle which God uses to compel us, to propel us, and to remind us that Christ came, that Christ lived, that Christ died, that Christ was raised from the dead, and that Christ ascended and now advocates in heaven on our behalf. As Christians, that is the hope we have. But sisters and brothers, our hope must stop simply being just for tomorrow. We must stop saying, well, Christ gives us hope, and then treating it like a get-out-of-jail-free card. Or, you know, well, at least we'll be saved from this dark and terrible world. Or maybe some of us, we treat our hope as fire insurance, like, like the world will rot and burn anyway. I can't wait to get to heaven. No. No, Christ gives us hope because in the person of Jesus our Christ, we see heaven coming down to earth. We see God reconciling the entire cosmos to himself. We see the Father and the Spirit enabling to bring forth transformed lives, transformed people, and a transformed earth. God has a plan for earth. Heaven has to meet it. Amen? Because today and right now, as opposed to simply tomorrow to come, today God continues to work reconciling all things back to himself, things on heaven and things in heaven and things on earth. So Paul begins this section here in Colossians chapter 1, telling us that we were once alienated and estranged from God. The wages, what we have earned, what we have earned through what we have done, the wages of our sin had reaped separation from our heavenly Father, so much so that Paul says our evil behavior had made us enemies in our own minds. And that's something to stop and think about, right? That is, we sin. We grow the separation from God, and then we feel unloved and unwelcomed back into the grace-filled embrace of our God and Father. What a wicked cycle we live in. When we sin, we make up in our own minds that our sin is too great than God's grace and love. When we sin and create the separation from God, we get in the cycle where we feel like God will never love us, and we make ourselves enemies in our own minds, Paul says. Hear that this morning. God's grace is always enough. God's love is always enough. God's compassion is always enough. We must break the cycle. This wicked cycle, we sin, we grow our separation from God, we feel unloved and unwelcome, we feel like we can't enter into the grace-filled arms of our Father. What a wicked web sometimes we weave. Yet, yet even with this reality, Christ comes and God takes on skin. 
Christ lives. Christ dies. Christ is raised from the dead. Christ ascends to heaven so that we can now stand before God Almighty transformed. The work and salvation that Christ suffered and bled to bring reconciles us and the world to God and makes us holy in God's sight without blemish and free from all accusation. Amen? Paul continues that Christ reconciles us and makes us without blemish and free from accusation if... And that's key. Paul continues that Christ reconciles us and makes us without blemish and free from accusation if we continue in the faith establish and firm ourselves in the faith, that we not move on from the hope that the gospel that Jesus brings. Paul's focus here is not so much on what we have to do to earn salvation. No. Paul states here, elsewhere, all of scripture confirms what? Salvation is God's work. The Father is the one who mapped out the plan for salvation. Amen? The Son is the one who executed that plan for salvation. And if we're honest, and scripture screams it loudly, even our own salvation is is the Spirit convicting us and calling us back home. Salvation is and has always been God's work. Amen? So no, Paul's contention is not that you, what you have to do to earn your salvation. No, his contention here is this, that belief is not a one-time thing. That faith in Christ is not simply a decision you made a while back when you were seven years old. No, belief in Christ is a continued journey of faith. In essence, we are called to, to believe and keep on believing, to know God and keep on getting to know God, to trust God and keep on trusting God. And this one, we don't like it, to submit to God and keep on submitting to God. And this continued journey of faith, to believe and keep on believing, to know and keep on knowing God, to trust and keep on trusting God, to submit and keep on submitting to God, this continued journey of faith is the same one that Paul himself was on all those years ago. And this continued journey of faith is the same one that Paul in Colossians calls us to all embark upon. This is the journey we have to take, to believe and keep on believing, to know and keep knowing God, to trust and keep trusting God, to submit and keep submitting to God. Amen? So much so that when he concludes this passage with the words, Christ in you, the hope of glory. He is proclaiming not only God's plan for the ages and generation, he is laying foundation to this simple truth. Christ has left his spirit and his church to be the hope for our world. You know, they tell you reputation indicates significance, so we'll say that again. Christ has left his spirit and his church. That's you and that's me. That's we, the family of God. We have the spirit and we have the church, and that is the plan to bring hope to the world. Amen? This is why it is important that we understand that God is not just in the business of saving souls. Because if you make the gospel only about the death of Christ, you'll focus just on saving souls. But God is a little bit bigger than that. God is not just in the business of saving souls. No, he is in the business of bringing dead human beings back to life today. Your addictions, your afflictions, he's in the business of setting the captives free. That God is not only in the business of giving hope for, for heaven to come and, and tomorrow and this future that we don't know. He is in the business of bringing light to darkness today. That God saved human beings not only for eternity to come, no. God saved and is saving to bring food to the hungry, to bring sight to the blind, to set the captives free. God is in the business of transforming us. God is in the business of bringing hope today. Amen? 
And to bring that hope, Christ has left his spirit. And to bring that hope, Christ has left the world, us. You, sisters and brothers, with the spirit is Christ's plan for hope for the world. Theologian N.T. Wright put it like this. The hope that Christ brings is salvation in its full sense. Hope and salvation not only for our souls, but for our whole human beings. Not simply for the future, but very much for our present. Not merely what God does in and for us, but please hear this. God cares what he does in and for you. But God cares also what he does through you. Christ in you, the hope of glory, because Christ has only left his spirit and his church to be hope for this world today. Amen? So how then exactly do we partner with the Spirit to bring hope for our world? Surely that's your next question. And if it wasn't your question before, it certainly is now that I've introduced it. How exactly do we partner with the Spirit to bring hope to our world? Well, Steve stole my thunder earlier twice now, but we're in church. And yes, Sunday school might be a lifetime ago for some of us, but that old Sunday school answer still rings true, doesn't it? When you're not sure the answer to the question, you can always try Jesus as your answer, and you just may be right. So how exactly do we partner with the Spirit and bring hope to our world? Jesus. That's the simple answer to the question. I think this season of Advent, where we prepare and where we await excitedly and celebrate that Jesus came as Emmanuel, our God with us, God taking on skin. And this season of Advent, where we prepare and excitedly await and celebrate the second coming, that Jesus is coming to reconcile all things finally to himself, the entire cosmos. And please hear me on that. We need to stop focusing on Jesus died for me because my Bible said Jesus came for the world. We need to stop focusing on what God has to do with me because my Bible says God has a plan for all of us. We have to be in this together. Christ loved the world, so must we. Christ died the world, so must we. I think this season of Advent helps us. I think it helps us by reminding us that the hope we have in Christ, the hope that we have in Christ looking at his life, looking at who Jesus is, that same hope we have in Christ, Christ has that same hope in us. The hope Christ brought to this world is the same hope Christ has now gifted us to share with our world. So how exactly do we bring hope to our world? Jesus. And what does that look like? Well, it looks like what Jesus did when he came down and brought hope the first time. It challenges us to be living now to do the same. The complete gospel of Jesus is that he came. The complete gospel is that he lived, he died, he was raised from the dead, and he ascended and now advocates for us in heaven. Sisters and brothers, if we are to submit to the call to bring hope to our everyday scenes, we must be willing to do the same. We must be willing to break through the darkness because we carry the light. We must be willing to gla- excuse me. We must be willing to gladly let God use us to meet the world's deep hunger. We must be willing to die to our own goals and dreams because we have to be in the business of taking up our cross and letting God use us to make his kingdom come, his will be done, and not simply our own. We must be willing to live with the resurrection power that God gives us, that the same power that raised Jesus from the dead is able to transform you, your family, your neighbor, your community, your city. That same resurrection power is available to us. We need to start tapping into it. 
We must be willing, sisters and brothers, to live so boldly for Christ that not merely our mouths speak of heaven. No, we must be willing to so boldly live for Christ that our lives and all that we do, all that we are, all of who we want to be, clearly points every single person we would meet to Jesus and to heaven. Because if we're living as advocates like Jesus calls us to live, if we're living as advocates in our hearts, all of us will be working for the kingdom. We'll get to this a little bit later, but we'll put it in your mind now. Some of your homework this week is simply to ask yourself, what am I doing to point this world to heaven? What am I doing to point this world to Jesus Christ? So that is how we can live out our call and Paul's proclamation that Christ in us is the hope of glory. Look at the example of Christ and then go and live it out. But what exactly does that look like? Well, for one, it's a journey of faith. And the road begins one step at a time as you believe and keep on believing, as you know and keep on getting to know God, as you trust and keep on trusting God, as you submit and keep on submitting to God. But secondly, and this is important, it is also an individualized journey, meaning every single person in this room matters. We may be the body of Christ and working together, but every single person has a role to play. Why? God partners together with all of us as Christ's church. Christ in you, the hope of glory, is working with all of us, but this is how he works, with you and your heart. That means your entire life and being. That means everyone has a role to play because we have to submit our life, our being, our mind, our body, and our souls. We have to submit our desire and our appetites, our intellect, our skills, our gifts, and our abilities. God desires to work with you and all of you because the truth is, and the reason this has to be an individualized journey, is that you and only you can reach the people you can reach. You and only you can love the people that you can love. I can only love the people who are in my everyday scenes. You can only do the same. But God wants to save the world. And the reason he needs all of us is you and only you can reach those people. You and only you can love those people. I can try, but I I haven't earned the right to speak into their lives like you have. The reason it matters and the reason every single person matters is because Jesus wants the world. And you're in the world. And you have people that you're interacting with. What are you doing to point them to Jesus? What are you doing to point them to heaven? When we take these two concepts, looking at the example of Christ and then working to live it out in our everyday scenes, I think that's when we can see what Christ means by hope of glory, that Christ in you, the hope of glory. The first reason I think we can have hope today, not just tomorrow, but today, is because of the first thing that Christ did. Christ came. Christ entered into the world, and so must we. Now, theologians will tell you that in Christ's coming, the word became flesh and dwelled among us, that Christ relinquished his divine honor and became as nothing, that love took on skin by moving into the neighborhood. I love that one. So much so that we can now hear him with our own ears. We can see him with our own eyes. We can touch him with our own hands. The creator entered into creation. I don't think we focus on the amazing ridiculousness that is. That God the Father, God the Son, the one who spoke the world into creation, enters into time and space. Empties himself to enter into creation. What a wonderful yet humble, amazing, loving God and Savior we worship. Amen? One of my favorite theologians and really good friend described it like this. Time wrinkles, but love invades. 
You know, by that she meant that, you know, time's doing what it's supposed to do. It just goes on. You know, you wake up one morning and it's been 20 years and you haven't recognized the person in the mirror. Time wrinkles. Amen. But love invades. Time flies by and leaves wrinkles in its wake. But love invades. By that, she reminded me that Advent is not simply about reliving or remembering the past. No, time wrinkles. It goes on, and it leaves us in its wake, and yet we only live one moment at a time. But Christ's coming isn't just about that moment of time. Christ's coming is about love invading this world. Christ's coming is a reminder that God is faithful to his promises. Christ's coming is a reminder that love is going to invade your heart, but that same love needs to invade our world. Amen? Because love changes, doesn't it? Love changes how we see things. Love changes how we hear and how we feel and how we touch things. Love changes our perspectives and our focus. Love enlarges our capacity while swallowing us up, whole what we used to be, who we used to be. Love makes us who we are destined to be. All the while reprioritizing our values. Love is surrender. Love is growth. Love takes over because why? True love invades. Sisters and brothers, Christ came not only so that we can remember the mother and child this season. Christ came not only so that we can say, hey, love took on skin. Christ came because it was an invasion. Christ came and how we see and how we hear and how we feel and what we touch all have been changed forever. Christ came and changed our perspectives and focus. Christ came and he enlarges our capacity to love, our capacity while also swallowing up who we used to be. Christ came because he has us destined, he came to make us and create us who he destined us to be, all while reprioritizing our values. Love is surrender. We learn that from Christ. Love is growth. We learn that from Christ. Love takes over. Love invades. So as you have heard me say time and again, it is no longer simply good to notice the darkness all around you. It's no longer simply good to notice the darkness all around you. And I apologize to those with sensitive ears and sensitive conscience because I get fired up about this. I am sick and tired of we as Christians complaining about the darkness in our world. We've lost that right. We don't have that privilege anymore. We have lost the right to say there's bad out there because my Bible tells me, my Savior tells me, you are the light. It makes no sense to complain about the darkness when you're supposed to be the one being the light. If you want hope for the world, you have to carry it to the world. As Christians, we forfeit complaining about all the world being not as it should be because God is saying, I am imploring you. I am empowering you with my spirit to go and fix that darkness by shining your light. So you have heard it time and time again. It is no longer simply good to notice this darkness all around you. As children of our God and Father, we no longer hold that privilege of holding on and complaining about darkness. Jesus in Matthew 5 says, you are the light of the world. So yes, we may see and feel the darkness, the darkness all around us. And if we're honest, even the darkness in ourselves. For Christ in us and empowered by the Holy Spirit, sisters and brothers, we can bring hope to the world today by invading all the darkness we see with our light. Time wrinkles. It goes on. It does what it's supposed to do, but love invades. And I think that we as believers, it is time that we become more known for invading and bringing down the powers of darkness than by shuddering in fear about what, how terrible the world has become. For God did not gift us a spirit of fear, sisters and brothers, but a spirit of power and a spirit of love. And it's time we start invading the darkness with our light. Amen? 
The second reason we have for hope today is because Jesus lived in this world to usher in the Father's kingdom, and so must we. Some focus on the fact that Jesus lived the perfect life and Jesus was without sin. I don't focus too much on that because it makes sense to me. He was God. You know, but I think when we look at the life of Jesus and what it actually meant and why, he didn't just come to say, I'm giving good news or I'm going to heal people. Jesus came to make heaven on earth. He came to make heaven a reality. He healed people so they can know the world was coming. He healed people and told them about him and and bridged that gap and the division because he wanted us to have heaven on earth today, not just in the future. Some focus on the fact that Jesus lived without sin. Some value that Jesus came to proclaim good news to the poor, freedom to the prisoners, recovery sight to the blind, to the oppressed he set free, and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. But sisters and brothers, we all must acknowledge that Christ lived and only lived to usher in the Father's kingdom. And we too must do the same. How do we give hope to our world today? We live for Christ's kingdom in all that we say or do. Sister Teresa of Calcutta often urged visitors, this is one of the most famous stories, often urged visitors to not run, to not simply run to India, not simply run to, to join the fight in Calcutta. No, she would always tell them, go and find your own Calcutta. And I believe that our brother Frederick Breekner would also agree that our own Calcutta, (laughs) that's the place where your deep gladness and the world's deep hunger meet. Our church is in a city where already this year we have had 17 homicides. We live in a state where too many, too many, including many of us who call ourselves Christians, many of us who call Jesus our hope, too many of us have selectively forgotten that America is a country of refugees. And more importantly, that as Christians, no ISIS, no weapons formed against us shall prosper. So when the Father then sends us the hungry, the tired, the broken, the homeless, the refugees, oh, if you're going to call yourself a Christian, you better live to welcome them in. Amen? And we have a country that too often posits itself as the great hope for the world. And that's what I love being Anabaptist and Brethren in Christ. I get to make fun of both Democrats and Republicans. Too often we get up there and we say, America is God's great hope for the oh, I'll take that back. We don't even put God in there. America is the great hope for the world. That is blasphemy. That is from the pit of hell. Because we as Christians know only Jesus is the great hope for the world. We need to stop settling when we hear these politicians tell us America is God's great hope for the world. That's blasphemy. That's from the pit of hell. Only Jesus is the hope for the world. Amen? Amen. Sisters and brothers, if we're all so honest, we have Calcuttas all around us. It's in our city. It's in our state. It's in our country. But if we make it more personally, it's also in our hearts. It's in our families. It's at the job. It's in the vocation and the mission of all that we do. It's in our neighborhoods. It's in our own, even in our own homes. But if we want to live like Christ lived, we must live for our Father's kingdom. We must bring hope by not simply letting our hearts be broken by the things that break God's heart. And I love that line. It's real cute, but it's unbiblical, right? Because if you're just sitting there letting your heart be broken by the thing that broke God's heart, that's great, but that's passive, We're not called to be passive Christians. God doesn't just want you to let your hearts be broken. He wants you to go and do something about it. God calls us to give hope. And our hope comes not from sitting back and saying, well, that breaks God's heart. It breaks mine too. You have to do something about it. It's not just about letting your hearts be broken by the things that broke God's heart. It's about doing something, make hope to the world, to make heaven come down, to reconcile this world back to Jesus. Amen? 
The third reason we have for our hope today is because Jesus died to usher in the Father's kingdom, and so must we. And for some of us, this is the hardest part, because it means that we must die to our goals that are for our own personal advancement. It means that we must die to the dreams that are only for our glory. We must die to to the strong sentiment that has rewired our minds and reordered our value system, the sentiment that pushes us to work so hard to make our kingdoms come, to make our will be done, to take care of me and mine and my family. We must die to all of that. Christ died because he desired for the Father's will to be done. Every single day and with every single breath, every word and deed, with every work and interaction, we can give hope to our world by taking up our cross and following Jesus, by dying to ourselves in order so that we might live for Christ's kingdom, by neglecting our own personal advancement while working for the only advancement of the Father's kingdom. We can gift our world hope when we become sisters and brothers who join in the work of transforming lives and being disciples who make disciples. If you want anything from this sermon, Ask yourself, what am I doing to usher in the kingdom of heaven? Because if you're not doing it, you're not staying firm in the hope that we have called. You're not doing the work of Christ. And like we said earlier, all of us have a role to play because only you can love the people you love and know the people you know, and only you can bring them to Jesus. Amen? The fourth reason we have for our hope today is because Jesus was raised from the grave. And that same resurrection power is available to us today. We've been learning a lot about the Spirit. So all I got to say about this is we need to start relying on that same resurrection power. Right? We need to start relying on the fact that if God was powerful enough to raise Jesus from the dead, he's powerful enough to break these chains of addiction on me. If God is powerful enough to raise Jesus from the dead, he's powerful enough to break the generational curses in my family. If God is powerful enough to raise Jesus from the dead, he is powerful enough to stop the senseless violence in Harrisburg, to stop the stupidity of us closing our borders to refugees where we're a nation of refugees, to stop the craziness of a world that's all not as it should be, but then to use us to bring light to that world. We have to start tapping into that resurrection power because God desires not only to transform you, but to transform this world. And here's the good news. He's already doing that work. You just get to join in. Amen? You know, the final reason we have hope for today is because Jesus ascended to advocate for us before the Father. You know, a lot of times we think of Jesus as the intercessor. And that's good because he's doing some intercession. But I love this idea that he's an advocate, that he is someone who stands before the Father and says, no, 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 look at my sisters and brothers. They belong in the family too. Look at what they're doing in Harrisburg. They belong in the family too. Look at what they're doing in this family. They belong in the family too. Jesus lives right now to prepare heaven and to, to literally be an advocate for us. Sisters and brothers, we have to do the same. God sent his son for the world. And if you're going to be an advocate for your sisters and brothers, you need to start pointing them back to Jesus. That simple question we've been asking time and time again this morning remains, what are you doing to advocate and point people to Jesus? When they look at you, do they see Jesus? Furthermore, when they look at you, do they want to enter into Jesus? When they look at you, do they want to enter into this family? What are you doing to bring forth the kingdom of God? We're going to end our service by singing In Christ Alone. I'd like to invite the ushers to come up. Somebody remind me never to wear a sweater when I preach.
I'd like to invite the musicians to come up. They're coming. I'd like to invite the musicians to come up and lead us. I'd like to invite intercessors up as well. And again, as always, we will pray for whatever it is that you need. We'll pray for everything that you need. Come up from, we'd love to pray for you. But some of us are going to sit in there, we're going to sing this song. And as we sing this song, I have a simple prayer. And my prayer is that we take to heart the message this morning, that Jesus' is coming isn't just about his death on the cross, but the full gospel, the coming, the life, the death, the resurrection, the ascension of Christ, that's what gives us hope for today and tomorrow. And sisters and brothers, my prayer and my hope is that if we are willing to go and bring light into the darkness around us, if we're willing to answer the call by letting our deep gladness meet the world's hunger that's all around us, if we're willing to die to ourselves and living for God's glory and kingdom, if we're willing to ask God for more of that resurrection power, if we're willing to be advocates and point, let our lives point the world to Jesus, my hope is that we can give our world hope because we're the plan. Jesus went to heaven. He left the Spirit, and he left you and me, sisters and brothers. We are the plan to bring hope for the world. Amen? Amen. I am. 
life's first cry to final breath. Jesus commands my destiny. No power of hell, no scheme of man can ever pluck me from his hand till he returns or calls me Christ, we thank you that you came so that we can now go. We thank you that you lived so that we can now love. We thank you that you died so that we can now live. We thank you that you were raised up so that we can now be empowered by your spirit. And we thank you that everything you do now points to the Father and points to heaven as you stand before the Father as our advocate. Lord, help us to go and do the same. Help us to partner with you and the Spirit to be hope for our world by introducing them to Jesus Christ. In his name we pray, amen.